Uh, we're back in John chapter 9 this morning, so if you brought your Bibles or your Bible apps or whatever you have, uh, open them there. If you didn't bring one of those things, then put your hand up. Bibles will come around from the guys in the back. John chapter 9, let's pray, and we'll see what the Lord has for us this morning. Father, as we come and we're, and we're cold, Lord, some of us are cold this morning, I pray that our physical condition would not be our spiritual condition. Lord, we know that there are so many that claim, uh, that go by your name, that call themselves Christians, and they're at best lukewarm, and, and maybe even cold. Nothing new has happened in their lives for years, Lord, and, and nothing is, is churning inside. There's no fire in their belly. And, and their spiritual life has grown cold. Other things have become more important. Other things have taken priority. And, and Lord, you're waiting. We know that you're waiting for them to come back, for them to return, to, to begin to fuel that fire again, to begin to put fresh kindling, fresh wood on the spiritual fire in their lives. Lord, and you know who they are, and I don't know who they are, but you know them, Lord. And I pray that they would draw close to you, and in doing that, that you would draw close to them, that it's them that's moved, Lord, and, and you're always where you've been, that you're so patient with us, and you wait while we play and experiment with things of the world until we find out that they don't satisfy and come back to where we've always belonged in the first place. Lord, speak to us again from your word this morning, fresh, new, necessary for our daily bread. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. Well, we're back in John chapter 9 got about halfway through last week, looking at the story, the account. I don't like to use the word story because story sounds like it's made up. Uh, we're talking about real people. This is a real person who was born really blind. And, and Jesus uh, heals him. Well, he gives him some instructions, and by obeying the instructions, he, he's healed. He goes to the pool, and he, and he washes, and his eyes are open. And then people start to question whether or not he's really the same guy. And if you were here last week, you can, you can remember that. And they take him to the Pharisees. Now that his eyes are open, he sees. They take him to the Pharisees and, and, and they begin to question him about how and why he was healed and how this all happened. And, and we'll pick up uh, down in verse 26 is where we left off. Verse 25 was wonderful. They begin to question the character of, of Jesus, whether he was a, a sinner or or who he was, and the blind guy, or he's known as the man. We don't know his name. We, we never get his name. All he is is the man who was formerly blind. And, and I'm the man who was formerly a sinner. And just like you could hopefully say that same thing, I was formerly, but now I am. And he says this, verse 25, says, One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. And that, that's your testimony. Though I was blind, now I see. And so the whole passage is really not just about physical blindness. It's about spiritual blindness. And again, the whole topic of the book of John, all, all that John is concerned about, is that you would believe. And that you would believe in such a way, not just a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge, a belief that changes your life. Because there's a lot of people that claim to believe, but it never, in fact, changes their life. So I would question, do you really believe? Because we really do what we really believe. And so to John, this essential belief that you believe enough to actually let it affect your life is so valuable because it changes your life. It gives you life. 
That's where life comes from, from believing. And so all of these things that John is recording, did you, did you notice that there's this whole chapter, 41 verses, uh, what, he could have shared this in 10 verses, you know? Here, the guy, they meet the guy, Jesus heals him, he goes into the city, and he tells everybody, you know, he shows everybody he sees. And it could have ended right there. But John spends a lot of ink on, on this guy's story. So it's really important. And it's important because it's not just about physical blindness, it's about spiritual blindness. It's about some people that get it, and people that should get it don't. And it's about some people that can see it, and other people that can't see it. For instance, there was a guy, uh, he'd been married to his wife for 50 years. They'd been married. And he just didn't get it. Every year of their marriage, they celebrate their 50th anniversary. And they argued and bickered all of their life. Three children, and for their 50th anniversary, the kids get together. They say, man, we've got to get mom and dad something they can really use. They decide to get them marriage counseling. After 50 years, so they argue about whether they should accept the gift or if they should go. And then, so they finally accept it and they go with the kids, you know, all go to this marriage counseling session and they, they walk into the office and there's the couch and the chairs and they argue about who should sit where and well, who's going to tell the story and well, this is my opinion, that's your opinion. And they just be arguing. The counselor is just sitting there watching all of this transpire. And so as they're, they're bickering back and forth, he gets up from his chair and he grabs the wife and he picks her up off the couch he gives her a big kiss right in the lips. And he looks at the husband, and he says, now she needs this three times a week. And the husband said, well, I can bring her Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. <laughs> you see, some people just don't get it. He, just, he was blind as to the needs of his wife, even when the, the counselor was trying to make it so obvious. He was just blind to it. And maybe you're like me. There was the day years ago where we used to enjoy watching the American Idol auditions. Anybody else get a kick out of that? And the blindness of people, I'm the next American Idol, and you can't even sing a tune. You know, it's terrible. You're blinded to your own inability to sing. And it would just boggle the mind how you could, it's so clear to everyone else around you that you can't sing, but yet you're convinced that you can. You can't see it. And maybe, it's, maybe some out there are fashion blind. Anybody fashion blind? No, you see, you're not admitting it, right? Because you don't know you're fashion blind. You're the per- you get dressed and someone in your household looks and goes, oh, you're going to wear that? You can't wear it. So then when you realize you're fashionably blind, you have to ask, there's a fashion consultant in your home, and you have to ask them, can I wear this? Oh, no, no, no. Let's, and they b- pull out the clothes for you. Or maybe you're colorblind. Colorblind. You can't see color even though everyone else can see it. It's right there. It's obvious to so many. But uh, for some reason, you lack the ability to see color properly. And then we come to where we're discussing in in this chapter is spiritual blindness, which is probably the the most painful blindness. And the most painful thing about spiritual blindness, and about any kind of blindness really, is that the, the deceptiveness is blindness, is that the person is blind to their own blindness. And that's what makes it so difficult. They can't see... And they don't know that they can't see. Matter of fact, they think everybody else is blind. And so we've been introduced to these guys called the Pharisees. The ones that were experts on all things concerning God. All things concerning the Old Testament. These were the go-to guys for spiritual things. These were the experts. These were the PhDs of their day. The theologians. Extraordinaire. And yet when Jesus showed up, they refused to see him. They, were, they, they could see 
so much that they were so into their own sight, what they thought was true, what they knew to be true for themselves, that they missed the truth that was right in front of them. So that sets the stage. We pick up as Jesus or as the uh, blind man is being interviewed by these Pharisees who are trying to continue to poke holes and and uh, disregard this man's testimony. He was blind and now he sees. That's an irrefutable, indisputable fact. You can't argue with that, which is really a problem for them. So we'll see why in just a second. He says, verse 25, one thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I mean, they think it's some kind of trick, hocus pocus, some kind of, you know, smoke and mirrors deal. Like they've been faking it all their lives and they've cohorted in this thing to, to cause this deception. How did he do it? What happened? You know, what? some snake oil he rubbed on your eyes or something he did. Well, this, I, I wish I... As I said last week, the guy was blind, but boy, did he have personality. And watch what he says, verse 27. He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. He'd already told them once what happened. He put clay, back in verse 15, he put clay on my eyes, I washed, and I see. It's a simple story, really. It's not hard to get. It's not very complicated. He says, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Now that's called a jab. And, and then this guy, now he sees, and he, he's getting under their skin. Because he says to them, look, why are you wanting me to repeat myself? Maybe it's you that's interested in becoming a disciple. And to them, that was so offensive. That was very offensive. As if they needed to become a disciple. Which they did, of course, but they weren't willing to admit it. Verse 28 when he says that, then they reviled him, the, bl- the man formerly blind, and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. You can always know when you're getting to somebody, getting under their skin, because they begin to get, make it personal. It's not about God anymore. It's not about Jesus anymore. It's about him. And they started to revile someone is to hurl insults at them, to speak rudely and angrily toward them. And so that's what, when, when you've gotten to that place with a person, know that they're probably not going to hear what you have to say because you're touching on, when you start to talk to people about spiritual things, have you noticed that? When you start to talk to people about, when you begin to dismantle the beliefs that they've built their lives on, as sinful as they might be, as incorrect as they might be, if you talk to someone who's been brought up in a cult, it's very, very hard because their whole life they've been taught something is true. And then you come and you begin to challenge. Your life challenges what they believe to be true. And if they're not open to hearing that, then they get defensive. And when they get defensive, they get personal. And they begin to make it about you, about your character. And, and everybody I talk to, everybody in the, in, in the world has some kind of foundational belief they built their life. Where did you get it? And that's what I often ask people. Where did you come to that understanding of, of God or that there is no God or that we came from aliens or whatever it is that, is that you're building your life on? Where did you come to that understanding? And just begin to ask questions. And, and you, know, you have to be gentle with people because they will just, if you just go in and you try to nail them, they'll really jerk back real fast. And, and this guy... Uh, challenges them, and they begin to revile him. <clears throat> and they say, we're Moses' disciples. 
And they were confident in that. They were secure in that. They, they knew Moses. And they didn't want to change. And, and that's how it is with people. Hard, change is hard, isn't it? It's hard to change. And because to change, you have to admit that what you believed was wrong. And, and you can't become a Christian until you humble yourself and admit that what you believed was wrong. And that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Matter of fact, the, the all, many paths, one God is just a way to avoid the truth. It's just a part of blindness. There can't, there can't be many paths to one God because all the paths that people talk about all lead different directions. You can't take paths going different directions and get to the same place, can you? It doesn't make any sense. We know that God spoke to Moses, so, so we're not going to change. We're, we're going to stick with this no matter what. And people will hold on to I've used the example. It's like a baby sitting in a poopy diaper. You know, it's uncomfortable, but it's mine. And it may stink, but I'm comfortable in it. And I want you to change it. Because change is painful for people. And I'm coming from this, you know, I had a lot of things to relearn when I became a Christian. A lot of things I had come to believe and come to, to live for and, and had to begin to relearn everything as, as being born again. So the man answered and said to them, why this is a, this is the blind man or the formerly blind man speaking why this is a marvelous thing he says this is amazing wow would you get a look at this he says that you do not know where he is from yet he's opened my eyes now we know that god does not hear sinners but if anyone is a worshipper of god and does his will he hears him since the world began it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now, this guy, this, he was a beggar. He was blind. Far as we know, no formal theological training. He certainly didn't learn under any of the rabbinical teachers of their day. And yet, he's one-upping them in theology, isn't he? he watch what happened. So let's go back over this. He says the man, this is amazing. I can't believe you guys. I can't believe this. He says, you don't even know where this guy is from. You're supposed to be the experts on prophets. You're supposed to be the experts on the Messiah. You're supposed to be the experts on all these things, knowing who's who and discerning things. And yet, this, is, this guy healed me of my blindness. And you don't even know where he's from. Maybe he's, listen, what he's saying is, maybe you don't know as much as you think you know. Huh. Maybe you are not as smart as you think you are. Because Here's this guy, you don't even know where he's from, and he was able to open my eyes that have been closed since birth. How many of you guys have done that, he might say to them. When's the last time you healed someone's blindness from birth? There was no biblical, that's what the guy goes on to say. He says, from the beginning of the world, it's unheard of. There's no biblical account, Old Testament, New Testament, other than this, of a man who was blind from birth having his eyes opened. Other people, other blind men get healed. This is the only account, Old Testament, New Testament, of a man healed from, who was blind from birth. And part of the, the demonstration of when, when the Messiah comes, when, when God's Savior comes to the world, one of the proofs of that is he will open blind eyes. Not just physically. That was just, he's going to open eyes spiritually. You don't know where he's from, yet he's opened my eyes. And now he says, now we know, now here's the problem. Here's where he, he, he gives them this irrefutable argument. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners. See, they're trying to claim that Jesus is a sinner because he didn't keep the Sabbath like they thought he should. They were, so, they were blinded by pride 
They were blinded by tradition. They were blinded by sin. There are things in your life that will blind you. Pride will blind you. Sin will blind you. If you're engaged in an ongoing sinful lifestyle, it will blind you. You will not be able to open your eyes to the truth. You will not be able to accept it. Why? Because sin has blinded you. And their pride and their sin, their tradition have all blinded them. And he says, look, guys, and he's using their own theology. We know that God does not hear sinners. And so that goes back to the Old Testament, goes back to Psalm 66, where if I regard iniquity in my heart, if I'm, if I'm into my sin, if I continue to willingly engage in my sin and reject God, then it says, God will not hear me. And there's other places where God talks about the Israelites and how they were engaged in idolatry, they were worshiping other gods, and that they would stretch out their hands and pray to God and he wouldn't hear them. The, the one, now, God will hear a sinner when a sinner says, Lord, save me. God hears that prayer. And he says we, they, would, they would all agree on that. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears them. And again, they, they would agree on that, that God hears the prayers of those that are walking with him, um, working with him, worshiping him, that he hears. And so this is the real conundrum that they're in. If, so if God hears the prayers of righteous people and doesn't hear the prayers of sinners and this guy was able to be healed, then the man who healed him must be righteous because he answered his prayer. That's basically the logic that he's saying. If he wasn't from God, he, the blind man understands it. If he's not from God, there's no way he could have done this. And So what are they going to say? You think they would say, you're right. You're right. I can't believe we've been so stupid. We agree. You're, you're totally right. That makes perfect sense. How reasonable. How brilliant. You're, wow, you're, for, a, for a guy who was born blind with no theology training, you're doing pretty good. You think that's what they're going to say? Doubtful. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins and you are teaching us. And they cast him out. They got personal again and then they threw him out. Now, it's not such a bad thing to be pro- thrown out by people that you shouldn't be trying to impress anyway. And there may be some places you need to get thrown out of because you're, you're trying to be uh, a foot in two worlds. There's maybe some places that if your life changes that, that you would be cast out of. Maybe you wouldn't be welcome anymore. This guy, this, you know, this, the traditional religious system that doesn't recognize Jesus as Savior if they want to kick us out, go for it. If, you can't, if, you, if we're going to love Jesus, if we're going to have a relationship with Jesus, and, that, and there's some religious folks that can't handle that, that's not my problem. You've got to be willing to stand up to some stuff when you're a Christian. You've got to be willing to stand for something and recognize that if all men speak well of you, the Bible says, then there's a problem. If you can manage to make everybody like you, then you're not really true to who you are. Because you're going to eventually, if you're going to stick to a belief, if you're going to stick and put your foundation down in something that you stand for, someone else who doesn't stand for that isn't going to like what you have to say. Now, that doesn't mean you're a jerk about things or you're confrontational about stuff. It just means by taking a stand for something, you take a stand against something else. And so as this guy takes his stand and continues to, he's not going to um, sell Jesus out. He's not going to bow to these guys. And they started to get personal again with him. They, they tear him up. They say, you were completely born in sins. And, the, and here's, the real, here's the real pride marker. They couldn't handle 
that someone that wasn't educated was teaching them. They were the know-it-alls. And what they would have had to have done is acknowledge that maybe they didn't know it all. You know anybody like that? They're just a know-it-all? That you can't teach them nothing because they already know everything? And they're just, when a person knows everything, you can't teach them anything. And so really important characteristic in your life is to be teachable. Now, now someone may share something with you and you may not agree, but at least be teachable. Listen, think, consider, examine, challenge. The more you challenge your own beliefs, the stronger your faith will get. Because our beliefs, I mean, I've challenged them for 18 years. I've not hidden, a lot of Christians hide. They hide from what the world says. I'll read anything on, I'll, I'll read lots on evolution. I read lots on atheism. I, I, no, not lots. I read more Bible. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, but I'm not afraid. I want to know what people say. I want to know if they're right. I want to hear the arguments for evolution. I want to hear the arguments for abiogenesis, you know, life coming from non-life. I want to know what people are saying, and I want to analyze those things. I want to look them over. I want to consider them. Because if I'm found to be wrong, i got to toss out my Bible. I got to, I mean, we have to be willing to risk even our Christian faith if it can be found to be undermined. But the reality is the Bible is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. People have tried and tried for centuries to undermine the Christian faith by undermining the Bible, by undermining Jesus and his character, by undermining, you know, and they've not succeeded. The Bible continues to be the best-selling book on planet Earth. And it continues, lives continue to be changed as people come to God's Word, the power of the Spirit in their lives. Jesus Christ bowing to Him, lives changed, and you can't refute it. It happens over and over and over again. And that that personal proof, that guy was staying there. His eyes were open. You can't argue with it. And they knew that. But because they were so uh, closed off, they would not accept it. And when you don't accept it, you've got to have some excuse. You've got to have some. So this is what they start to, to do. They said, How dare, you're teaching us? And they got rid of him. Now look, here's the comfort. Jesus heard, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of God? So Jesus heard, hey, Jesus, did you hear about that blind guy you healed? No, what happened? As if he didn't know, right? <laughs> They cast him out of the temple. Now, to be cast out of the temple was to be cast away from God. It's to be excommunicated. In other words, he would, he would be not, not just the temple, not just the religious system, but in their eyes, to be cast out of the temple was to be excommunicated from God himself because they held the keys to knowledge and to God. And so they cast, it's to be cast out of your social circle. It's to be cast out of the lifestyle and the life that you were brought up in, your culture. Excommunicated. And Jesus heard about it. And what's Jesus do? He goes to find him. And that, a religious system may not have had room for you. And I'm, I'm there. I, in some ways, part of the reason that, that this church began was because a religious system in some ways didn't have room for me. You know, I... It was great. It's great when you're so naive that you don't know what you're not supposed to be able to do. And the religious people tell you that, that you need a seminary degree. You can't, you can't possibly be a pastor without a seminary degree. Well, okay. Not sure they were right. But not by, it's by, the, I mean, just by the power of God. 
You know, the disciples were criticized because they were untrained and unlearned men. But yet they'd been with Jesus. And so we get these traditions and we get in these modes of thinking of how things are supposed to be. Here's our tradition says, here's what our religion says. And then someone comes along that doesn't fit in that box and we go, oh, you know, that freaks me out. And I like freaking people out. I like it when I, I met somebody the other day and, and I, we were talking and, and they asked me what I did for a living. I said, my, oh, I was at the pizza place. That's what it was. I was picking up pizzas for the building site. And I go into to the restaurant and, and I get the pizzas and they said, are you the pastor from that church? I said, yeah. They said, you don't look like a pastor. I said, I'm not sure how to take that. But I kind of like breaking, I don't know, maybe it's a little thing inside me. I don't know what it is in me, but I like breaking molds. I do. I do. I, I like challenging people that way. Jesus liked challenging the religious attitudes that way. And so, when, so if the religious system doesn't have room for you, Jesus will find you. And I pray, see, the church can so easily replace the old pharisaical religious system and become that. We can set up our rules and set up our things that somehow if you don't wear the right clothes and you don't carry the right Bible, that somehow you don't fit in in our system. But you fit in with Jesus. And so the quest, that's the question. Is your life giving glory to God? And then find a, find a, a place where, where other people are fitting in with Jesus too. And Jesus found him and said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? Now, he's never seen Jesus before. Remember, Jesus, he, he had to go and wash. And then he came back, and, and Jesus wasn't there anymore, and he didn't see him when he healed him. Do you believe? And that's the question, do you believe? Do you believe, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord or, or, or sir, that I may believe in him? I mean, I'm ready to believe. And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him. What a great word that is to the blind man. He says, you have seen him. And it is he who is talking with you. Wow. There it is. Just like the woman at the well. He sort of presents himself. I'm the one. We heard about a Messiah. It's me. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one that the things you read have been pointing to. I'm the one people have been talking about. So what's his response? Very important. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he didn't just say it, but his actions reflected. When he says, Lord, I believe, Lord is, in the Greek, it's kurios. It's master. And he, and he does what's appropriate. He worshipped him. Now, the word worship is a confusing word to our culture. We think when we come in and sing three songs, then have a sermon, that's worship. But there was no music playing here, was there? As far as I know, there was no choir. There's no fancy praise team. And yet somehow, without all that, he managed to worship Jesus. To worship, it's a Greek word that I won't uh, say, well, because I probably can't, because um, it's Greek, and I don't speak Greek. But it means to turn toward and kiss the hand. And it speaks back to the old customs. See, we don't have these customs today, but it'd be in front of uh, someone who was of high authority, superiority, someone um, that, that was in charge or that was a president of a country or a leader or a ruler. You would bow down a king. You would humble yourself by getting on the floor in their presence and put your forehead to the ground, kiss their feet or kiss their hand. It was a sign of submission, 
a sign that you were under authority. And this is, this is what worship is, folks. To worship is to bow down, to humble yourself to one who is greater. And there's a lot of people that sing songs every Sunday in church, but they're not worshipers. Remember Jesus told, or the, the, uh, Jesus told the woman at the well that God is seeking people that will worship him. And not necessarily, I mean, we, we love him who we haven't seen. We don't see Jesus, so we can't bow down literally at his feet and, and kiss them. But we do see that with women in the Bible. We see that they, they, they get at his feet. They kiss his feet, wash his feet with their hair. It's humbling ourselves. So if you say you believe, the real sign of that is you become a worshiper. What does a worshiper look like? A worshiper is someone who humbles himself who recognizes their low status with respect to God and submits their will to God's will. And that's what he does. And for those that say, and Jesus doesn't say, oh, stop worshiping me. Don't do that. I'm just a man. For those that would say Jesus never claimed deity, or or, see, indeed, really, worship goes a step farther. Worship is worthy of one who is holy or a deity. They would worship their deities in this way by bowing down to them. And John, in Revelation 22, bows down to the angel that showed him the visions. And the angel says, what are you doing? Get up. I'm a servant just like you. And he says, worship God. Because John had bowed down face to the floor in front of this angel. And the angel says, get up. I'm a servant like you. If you're going to worship, worship God. Don't bow down to a person or a system. Bow down to God. That's, that's the hard one. But yet, so good. So good. When, and that puts everything else in your life in perspective, doesn't it? When a person humbles themselves before God, everything else comes in, into line. Everything else gets sorted out. So this is, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. So does that contradict when when Jesus said, I have not come to condemn the world? He's not talking about condemning the world. He said, I have come into the world for judgment. Now, judgment just simply means decision. The judge makes a decision, right? So Jesus comes in the world, and you know a person can say they're a good person or whatever they want to say, but the presence of Jesus Christ makes people make a decision. He is the dividing line of all humanity. I'm either for or against. You can love him. Or you can hate him, but you can't ignore him. He made some claims that you have to deal with. And, and here is how God, here is how judgment happens. What do you do with Jesus? That's why he came. Because he came to show people himself. God came, Jesus came to show people God in himself. So the question, if you reject Jesus, you reject God. And heaven would be a lousy place if a whole bunch of people that rejected God were there. If you don't want him on earth... If you don't want him now, why would you want his presence then? If you want him now, then all heaven is a continuation of the very thing you were looking for here. I just want to be in the presence of God. I just want to know him more intimately, more seriously, more diligently. And so Jesus said, this is why I've come. I've come to be the dividing line for the world. Either you accept me or you reject me. And here's how it goes about. I've come into the world that those who do not see may see so it's the people that say i don't know i'm not sure that are open to seeing the truth but the people that think that they have it all figured out 
that, that end up not seeing. See, his blindness was his strength. And the Pharisees' sight was their weakness. Does that make sense? Yes? Or are you all just frozen like popsicles out there? We good? Okay. We're almost done. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Now, the question, you, you don't get it uh, in English, but in the Greek it would have been worded to expect a negative answer. You've asked a question like that. I'm not blind, am I? Right? You, you know, you can ask leading questions. You can, you can dictate the answer you're expecting by the way you ask the question. And that's how they, we're not blind, are we? And they meant it seriously, like the expect, no, you guys, no, of course you're not blind. You guys are so smart and so studied. Of course you're not blind. And again, I'll say to you, this is the real deceptiveness of blindness. The real deceptiveness of blindness is that it doesn't even recognize it's blind. It's blind to its own blindness. And that's what they were. Again, back to the book of Revelation, there's a church mentioned, the church in Laodicea. Anybody remember that church? It's the seventh of the seven churches spoken to in Revelation. Do you remember what their issue was? They were the lukewarm church. And part of their problem was they, they thought they were so good. They thought they were wealthy and rich and all, all these things that they were. Their self-assessment was wrong. Jesus said, you think you're these things, but in fact, you're blind. You, you can't even see yourself. And so he said, you need to anoint your eyes with eye salve. They were, the, they were a center for ophthalmology in Laodicea. And they said, you, you need to be able to see. And, and so I can't tell you, I see it all the time. You probably know it too. Someone in your life that, that you've tried to show them, you've tried to tell them, and they're just blind. They just won't see it. And so these guys, in their knowledge, in, in their traditions, they say, are, are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind... You would have no sin, but now you say, we see, therefore, your sins remain. Or excuse me, your sin remains. If they had been ignorant, if they had been unknowing, then they wouldn't have been held accountable. Then, Then Jesus could have taught them. Then they would have been open to receiving him when he came. They would have been able to see. But because... They had it all figured out and had it all lined up. And because of their pride, because of their envy, um, Jesus said, uh, because you say, we see, I know what's going on. I know he's a sinner. Whatever they were saying, he said, your sin remains. I can't help you. So as, I'm going to ask uh, Phil and the, the praise team to come back up. You know, there's a lot of talk these days about relevant preaching. And, and, well, you know, what does this have to do with us? I, you know, we're not blind. And, you know, and just talk to me about my, my marriage needs help. Can you just talk to me about my marriage? Or, or well, I'm, I'm struggling financially. Can you talk to us about finances? Or we got kids. I don't know how to parent. Can you talk to us about parenting? And all that is fine and good and well and has its place. But without the starting place, I can explain to you. We can talk about, we can open the Bible to talk about these things, parenting and marriage and all these things. But unless your, your eyes are open, you'll, you'll never see it. You, you, you'll be able to try to put some things into practice, but it won't last. The first things first, folks, and I want to make sure we have a good foundation, that you have a good foundation. Maybe you leave here going, praise the Lord, I was blind and now I see. I, I remember you know, thinking I had it all worked out and I was blind to who I was. And man, the Lord has done a great work in my life. I see things like I've never seen them before. 
And maybe that's you and you can leave here rejoicing. But maybe you're here going, maybe that's me he's talking about. Maybe I'm the one who's blind. I know people have been telling me this and people, my wife's been sharing Jesus with me for years. You know, here's the challenge. The more you reject, the more light you get, the harder you have to close your eyes, the more condemning it is. The more, you receive, the more people shine light, the more God shines his light into your heart, the harder you have to close your eyes if you don't want to believe. And this morning, I have no doubt, I have no doubt in a room this size, God is trying to open somebody's eyes. But it takes humility. It takes repentance. You're going to have to turn away from some of the things that you've believed and some of the ways that you've lived so that you can turn to God. And it's just a turning in the heart. No longer walking away from God. No longer fighting against God. Like the Apostle Paul who was kicking against it, kicking against it, kicking against it until God got a hold of him, blinded him. And then the scales fell off his eyes and he could see. You, you can't see what your marriage needs because you, you're blind to spiritual things. You're blind to the things of God. You can't see what the kids need. You can't see what grace looks like. You can't see what real unconditional love looks like. And God, it's all, and let me tell you, as, as we st- let's go ahead and stand up and we'll close with this final song. And as you stand, I want you to know this. It's all right there in front of you. It's all right there. It's right there just waiting for your eyes to be open. And it's a lifelong of greater, clearer and clearer and clearer vision. Amen? Amen. Uh, I'm down in front here. If someone here, if there's a, a blind person that wants to see this morning, look, don't be shy. You're not trying to, impre- we're not going to be impressed or, or whatever. Don't forget about us. This is between you and God. And you can walk out the doors this morning and see for the first time with God filling your heart with his light. Just come on down and we'll pray with you and uh, welcome you to the family of God if you want to be saved.